And we're back with the Anarchist Experience, episode 321, year 7, week 19, with intro music all of a sudden, because, hey, why not? And if you don't like it, I don't care. That took me like two hours <laughs> to compose. Clip, it was worth it. Clipping stuff out, find, finding an acapella version of that Jimi Hendrix thing, because, you know, who knew it was that hard to edit out the background music if you, if you only got one stereo track? So, yeah, good, good times there. Uh, as always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, and joining me today is MC and NKS. Welcome, gentlemen. Usually, again, I would throw it over to you guys and say, like, hey, what's going on this week? But there's there's not much. Okay, I will say that. Did you see that creepy clip uh, that just came out of, like, Joe Biden perving on some some little girl again? <laughs> no. Oh, no. my goodness. I w- okay, maybe I heard I'll pull- about it, though. You've heard about it? Okay. So he's giving a speech and he like, he glances over at this young girl who they don't show. They don't show in the clip. And it goes like, oh, look at you with those little barrettes in your hair. And you look like you're about 19 with the legs all crossed like that. And yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, I suppose so- we should, we should set it up eventually in the future where we can just play the clip, <laughs> but that was you know, good enough impression. If I had known, you know, I, I tell you what, if you, if you talk for a minute, I will find the clip and then I will hit the play button. <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. We okay. can move on. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Cause if you have, if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. Um, uh, yeah. Joe, Joe Biden perving on some, some young chick out in the open, like on microphone in a speech. I'm sure. Okay. So during the, uh, during the campaign season, Joe Biden said some ridiculous things and I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt at the time. And I said, well, it's a short clip. It was probably taken out of context. And then I watched like the longer clips of his rambling antics and I went, okay, I was wrong. He just says dumb shit all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so even though this was a short clip of him perving on some uh, uh, young girl with barrettes in her hair and her legs crossed, because why wouldn't you sit like that? Uh, I'm going to assume that, you know, whatever context is in is appropriate for the way that man behaves. And we'll just move on from that. So I just wanted to throw that out there because it was, it was funny. It was pervy and like, Hey, that's the, that's the world we live in now. No mean tweets, but Jesus Christ. Uh, shall I read through the list of headlines? And then you guys can pick. Cause like I said, I, I lined these up, but I didn't, I didn't put them in proper order of what I thought was most important. And we have a lot of time. So. Yeah. Go sure. Ahead. All right. Headline, a brief history of corporate social responsibility. A headline, Biden's job plan, more government jobs won't fix the economy. A headline, Bitcoin crash opens door to a tax loophole for investors. Um, I think I pulled that, this one, more for your insight, MC, if we get to it, because I don't, you know, how does that work? Um, headline, America's public health system is utterly corrupt. Well, duh. Headline, Minnesota threatens to find this engineer for calling himself an engineer. 
this is old news, and I think there was a, some update because I remember reading us. Either this is old news or a whole new story because I remember reading something about this a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they do it in Mexico, Mexican election candidate shot dead shortly after going live on Facebook to ask locals to join her at a rally. Uh, headline: Capitalism can't fix an artificial labor shortage. Uh, headline: There's no conflict between profit and social responsibility. So I might move that one next to the one in the beginning there because those are similar. Uh, headline, ideas aren't enough. Freedom needs good stories. Headline, Biden pledges to tackle monopolies, supply shortages as prices rise. And finally, headline, Oregon is proof that leftist politics ultimately, le- excuse me, ultimately leads to tyranny and decay. Any of those stand out to either of you gentlemen? Oh, it's all good. All right. Let us do the Bitcoin one then, just because, like I said, I kind of want, I want to read it and I also want to get a little bit of your insight on maybe dumbing it down and explaining it to me what they're trying to say here. Uh, Bitcoin crash opens door to a tax loophole for investors. And if you understand what I'm saying, uh, then here's some great advice for you. Crypto investors may be shell-shocked by a recent plunge in prices, but that sell-off has a silver lining. It opens the door to a money-saving tax strategy. Popular cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum shed more than half their value in volatile trading over the past month or so. A Bitcoin investor who bought at the mid-April peak around 65000 and sold on Wednesday near 30000 would have lost 54%, for example. But crypto losses are treated differently than those of stocks and mutual funds. That's because of so-called wash sale rules don't apply, according to financial advisors. This offers two benefits to crypto investors. They can sell crypto for a loss and then use that loss to reduce or eliminate capital gains tax on winning investments. Then they can quickly buy back the crypto they sold so as to not miss out on a subsequent rebound in price. The first benefit, called tax loss harvesting, is allowed for stocks and other securities. However, the second benefit isn't. Stock investors aren't allowed to buy the same or similar security within 30 days before or 30 days after a sale without triggering penalties. This is a loophole, so to speak. Ivory Johnson, a certified financial planner and founder of Delancey Wealth Management in Washington, said of crypto relative to tax rules, it's heads I win, tails you lose. Crypto tax benefit. The so-called loophole exists due to the fact that regulators don't consider cryptocurrencies to be securities. Instead, the IRS taxes them as property, Johnson said. The tax treatment could make a big difference for an asset as volatile as cryptocurrency has been in recent weeks, according to financial advisors. Let's take the example of a Bitcoin investor who bought high and sold low, incurring a $35,000 loss. This year, the same person also sells stocks and mutual funds for a $35,000 gain. The Bitcoin loss would erase taxes on capital gains. Further, the same investor could have quickly rebought Bitcoin near its $30,000 low and participated in any run-up. Uh, its price jumped more than 10% on Monday. Some Bitcoin bulls expect the asset to reach 100000 by year-end. By comparison, a stock investor would miss out on 30 days of potential gains after sale due to the wash sale rules. It lets you completely manipulate crypto on the downside and use it to create a tax benefit, said Leon Lebrecht a CFP and accountant in Sequoia Financial Group in Troy, Michigan. Importantly, while this tax benefit applies to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin, it wouldn't for investors in crypto-related securities. 
You couldn't dodge the wash with crypto platform Coinbase, Lebrecht said, but you clearly could dodge the wash with crypto. Caveats. However, there are important caveats. Regulators may crack down on these rules in the future, according to financial advisors. However, it's unlikely that transactions occurring before any clampdown would be overturned, they said. The IRS declined comment for the story. The Securities and Exchange Commission didn't respond to request for comment. Investors may also inadvertently run afoul of other existing rules if they're not careful. Crypto sales still must have economic substance, or investors risk the IRS labeling them sham transactions, according to Jeffrey Levine, a CFP accountant and chief planning officer at Buckingham Wealth Partners on Long Island, New York. The IRS wants investors to bear some economic risk for the sale, meaning some risk of loss, Levine said. Investors who hit the Bitcoin sell button and buy it back a second later risk the IRS negating the tax benefit, but the timing isn't black and white. Time is always your best argument, Levine said, but given the volatility and the fact that it's constantly trading, I think you have much more flexibility with crypto than you do with anything else. A day is more than sufficient, he added. I'd feel comfortable defending that to the IRS. Uh, End of the article. So that's the story. Here's where I get confused. This whole like buy back the rebound, because if you if you bought it at sixty five thousand, sell it at thirty thousand, and then buy it right back at thirty thousand or a little bit more, or whatever, on the way back up, wouldn't you still incur the capital gains tax if you're doing this legitimately for any gains at that yes. time? Okay, but so no, what's but, the but not until you sell it. So if you were to have some at sixty five thousand and then sell it at thirty thousand. You could uh, write write off uh, a huge loss and then uh, buy it right back and then hold on to it for ten years and not have to pay the capital gains until you sell it in ten years. Okay, so that that brief moment in time where it's sold and then you know a day or let's say like you know a minute later, mm-hmm. right? You buy it back in, so you're essentially hold, holding your Bitcoin. However, for tax purposes you've lost Mm $35,000 per coin. Right. Okay. I'm more clear on it now. Um, I don't, from, I I like that that's in play. However, I don't see that flying over too well uh, with the people in charge. Well, the people in charge haven't done a good enough job uh, explaining those rules because I bet you most people didn't even know about them. Well, thank goodness they listened to this show then because now they do. <laughs> right? Oh, no. If you if you plan on hodling, right, when you're, at, when you're at the peak bottom or whatever you perceive to be the bottom, sell it, mark your loss, and then buy back in and then ride it back up anyway. Right. And then you don't well, have, then you're... Also, okay, you buy back in, but how do you know that's the bottom? You don't know that's the bottom. Of course, there's risk because it could still be going down. Well, if it goes down more, then you sell again, buy back again, take another loss, <laughs> right? This uh, for for tax purposes, right? Like this is this presumes that you're doing things like on the up and up and legitimate with the SEC and the you know the IRS, right? Like I want to caveat this conversation with that, um, but yeah, as as long as as long as you're in it for the long haul. Right, I, I guess is the the what I'm understanding here now. As long as you're in it for the long haul, any time you're in a loss, you just sell it and buy back in instantly, mark the loss, because then you don't pay. Then you're you know if, like they said with other taxes, you wouldn't pay capital gains on other investment wins. 
So it's it's all about it's all about mitigating your capital gains wins elsewhere by using this crypto loophole and then only paying your crypto gains when you eventually sell if you eventually sell, right? Which nobody ever does. Well, of course, not not on paper, right? But you know, at at some point people sell, and at some point it'll be useful to make purchases with. I know you're not big on the you know the day to day transactions, um, but you know large uh, you know. For, for for a brief moment there, Elon Musk was taking Bitcoin for Tesla. Now, mm-hmm. is that is that selling Bitcoin? Like, are the, is the IRS looking at that as a sale that you have to claim gains yes. on, or are you just purchasing? Yes. Did you answer? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes, it is. Okay. So if people want to spend their Bitcoin for, you know, other goods, they're going to have to mark those gains leg- mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're trying to do this legitimately. Yep. Yeah. KS, did you have more? No, I'm... I'm- Move. Moving on. Yeah, no, fun. no, we can move on. Like, again, I, I was not clear <laughs> on how that worked. So I like your example and, and explanation there. Um, yeah, it's, and it's not my specialty either. As far as that goes, I would say find a tax professional <laughs> and ask them. Yeah, and you don't, don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> let's also say that even tax professionals don't know all the rules because this is still no, so new. What was what was the stat that you know if you, if you get ten tax professionals together and have them do a simple tax return that they'll come up with ten different answers and and uh, even half of those will be uh, marked wrong by the IRS. So yeah, yeah, nobody it, knows. It was Money Magazine every year does this uh, hands out a, a tax form to fifty CPAs and um, they all come up with 50 different answers and not just a little bit difference, but uh, it can be all sometimes twice as much as the other. Uh, one can be twice as much as the other. And then, you know, they also do the call to the IRS to try and get clarification on points and they can only get through half the time. And when they did, did get through only half of those times, would, did they get the correct answer from the IRS itself? So yeah, that's the, the data on that. One of the, one of the earliest examples I remember of knowing that this was, you know, utter nonsense and BS was like, I was 1099 for one year. Like my, my job was as an independent contractor and I had like not done that before. And so I was, you know, trying to get help filling out the tax form because I paid, was paying taxes at that time. And I go to my mom and go like, how do you fucking fill this thing out? It's stupid. Doesn't make any sense. And she goes, well, just do the best you can. I go, what do you mean? She goes, like, they know the correct answer. And if you do it wrong, they will mark it wrong and they will send it back for you to correct. I go, well, okay, good information. Why do I have to do this in the first place? (laughs) If they know, right, they don't need me. Um, But sure enough, I made some mistakes on, you know, the, the, the form for 1099 employees because it wasn't, it's not as easy as the, w2 easy um and sure enough they sent it back with corrections and you know so on and so forth so from then like that that may have been like the last time i i think i might have filled out a return a year or two after that but that was very near the end of you know my putting up with that nonsense all right moving on sure minnesota threatened oh go ahead Cass. no i was saying sure okay yeah Minnesota threatens to find this engineer for calling himself an engineer. Um, have, did you guys see this? Because I feel like this is an older story that I don't know if we talked about here or if it just came up before. And then again, like I said, there 
either rehashing it or it's a new update or it's a totally different guy with the same exact problem in Minnesota. Excuse me. The head of an urban policy nonprofit is suing Minnesota's engineering licensing board after they threatened him with fines and other sanctions for calling himself an engineer in speeches and articles while having a temporarily expired engineering license. Charles Marone, a licensed civil engineer since 2000 and president of the advocacy group Strong Towns, argues that the board is violating his First Amendment rights by policing his description of himself as a professional engineer in connection to his policy advocacy. The sanctions he's been threatened with, he contends, are retaliations against Strongtown's activism, which is critical of spending more money on large infrastructure projects typically beloved by professional engineers. The state's licensing board is making findings that I have been dishonest and misrepresented myself to the public, that I made false statements. These things are not only unfounded, they are just deeply, deeply damaging, says Marone. I'm not practicing engineering. The board has no authority to regulate what my speech is and what I'm out saying. Marone's problem began in February 2020, and that's probably why I remember it. Because, um, like I said, this is a, a new article for an old, an old issue. That's when South took, and I think my, then it might have just been the, the article of them complaining, and now this is him like suing back, so he's fighting back in this one. Uh, Mahone's problem began in February 2020. That's when a South Dakota engineer, David D. Dixon, submitted a complaint to the Minnesota Board of Architecture, Engineering, Land Surveying, Landscaping, Architecture, Geoscience, and Interior Design. Elsglagon is the acronym there. After reading an article authored by Marone that was critical of traffic engineers on Strongtown's website. Marone's website biography said that he was a professional engineer licensed in the state of Minnesota. According to Dixon's complaint, he searched Marone's name on the Alzglagon website only to find that his license had expired in June of 2018. Based on that, I sought to determine whether this reference on Strongtown was an isolated reference, perhaps an oversight, or part of a deliberate effort to mislead the public, wrote Dixon in his complaint, which notes that Marone is also described as an engineer in About the Author page of his February 2020 book and in materials for a 2019 conference at which Mahone, Marone excuse me, was a speaker. Mr. Marone talks about being a policy expert, the type that reads law and ordinances. It is not responsible to assume that Mr. Marone was not aware the use of the term professional engineer, PE, or other similar representations while not licensed, is a violation of the law, Dixon said in his complaint. I urge the board to investigate as it sees fit and to send a clear message that frauds of this sort are not tolerated. Marone received notice of this complaint from the Alzheimer's in July 2020, over a month after he'd already renewed his expired license. Uh, Minnesota engineering license expire on June 30th of even-numbered years. Licensees are required to proactively renew them. Elskalid uh, sends out a courtesy notice reminding people of their need to renew their license. Marone had been licensed uh, had been a licensed engineer in the state since 2000. In 2016, however, he moved without informing the board and thus missed the biennial renewal reminder that was sent to his old address in 2018. Then in June 2020, a strong town's co-worker brought it to Marone's attention that his license had lapsed. Screenshots of Slack messages that Marone submitted to Alsglid shows him reacting with surprise at the news. 
He renewed it the same day and also paid a late renewal fee of $120. His lawsuits notes that he had also completed the required continuing education hours during the time his license was expired. It's kind of silly. I don't go out and practice as an engineer. I'm a writer. I do public speaking and I do writing. I do advocacy work. I don't sign plans. I don't do construction drawings. Marone told Reason in July 2020. He said at the time that he didn't expect the board to sanction him over an obvious bad faith complaint. That prediction turned out to be wrong. In November 2020, Alice informed Marone that their investigation had determined that disciplinary action was warranted. Specifically, the board demanded that he pay a $1,500 fine and sign an order admitting he'd violated Minnesota law by using the title of professional engineer in his writings and speeches while his license was expired. They also wanted him to admit he'd lied to Alstalid when, fi- when filling out his license renewal application, part of which requires the applicant to certify they haven't improperly represented themselves as a licensed professional. Marone objected to the idea that he'd engaged in any willful deception. In a written response to Alsgalit, he also said that under his reading of Minnesota law, the restrictions on the use of the title professional engineer only applied in circumstances where people were actually trying to practice engineering. He thus declined to sign off on the board's particular sanctions. That led to a March virtual hearing with Alsgalit's five-member complaint committee. Here, too, Marone said that the primary concern of the board were about his use of the term engineer in connection to his advocacy work. One member of the board, he says, expressed concern that his description of himself as an engineer in talks he gave at Google, the American Conservative, and TEDx might make people more likely to listen to his ideas and thus endangering public health and safety. That notion is ridiculous because it's not like I was any less qualified during the gap in my licensure, says Marone. I was just talking. I'm giving a speech. Following the hearing and in an effort to put the whole thing behind him, Marone told Ausgleid that he agreed to a $500 civil fine and would sign a stipulated order admitting that he called himself a professional engineer while his license had lapsed. In exchange, he wanted the board to acknowledge in writing that he'd renewed his license before being made aware of any complaint against him and that they dropped their accusations that he made any untruthful and false statements. In April, Ausgleid complaint committee declined the settlement, so last week's Marone sued Alsgalit in U.S. District Court for the District of Minnesota, arguing the board sanctions against him violate the First Amendment's free speech protections. The board's enforcement against Marone raises some serious First Amendment concerns, says Sam Gedge, an attorney at the Institute for Justice. The government does have the ability to restrict unlicensed people referring to themselves as professional engineers to prevent fraud, Gedge says, but that would only apply to a very narrow set of circumstances like commercial advertising. The board is concerned that this gentleman referred to himself as a professional engineer in books and speeches and communications like that. In that context, the government has no business policing the truth or falsity of speech, he tells Reason. The Institute for Justice has litigated similar cases before. In 2017, it sued Oregon's engineering board after it fined Beaverton man Matt Yallstrom for referring to himself as an engineer in letters to the board despite not having a state engineering license. That may also be the one that I remember Uh, from years ago. So double BS from Oregon as well. Uh, The government licensing boards are the new centers in America. They're aggressive and time and time again, it becomes clear. They just don't believe the first amendment applies to them. He said, adding that Elsgalid seems to be in in need of suing. Uh, End of the article. So your thoughts, is this actually a first amendment type of case? 
Um, are there merits on either side, or is this just uh, petty quarrels amongst uh, engineers in Minnesota? <laughs> it's, of course, it's a petty quarrel, and of course, I, uh, the state arrogates itself into these cases, and obviously they're, they're using it to, to hammer a guy they don't like. If it was somebody they liked, they would never have brought this sort of thing. And, you know, which reminds me about the whole idea of, of, of libel and slander and so on. If you can sue somebody for uh, artificially harming your reputation, can you sue somebody for artificially enhancing somebody else's reputation? You know, presumably uh, uh, it, it follows that if you can harm somebody's reputation and thus do the public harm, um, then you can also do it the other way. You should be able to sue people for falsely uh, praising uh, the virtues of a politician, for example. I think politicians would be great examples of, of people who sure. exaggerate their, their benefits to society, and clearly they, you know, you ought to be able to hold them account, accountable, sue them for damages to the community for having said something that was, you know, too much of an exaggeration. <laughs> Let, let's expand that question out a little bit because you brought up libel and slander uh, because I think that this is a, I don't want to say completely contentious issue, uh, but does libel and slander uh, have a place or regulating libel and slander have a place in libertarian society or libertarian culture? Or is it free speech? Not by the, not by the state. I think there are, uh, in the marketplace, there are certainly every reason to have market ways of verifying information that are voluntary. Um, you know, if you want to verify something about the uh, background of someone, then, then, get, um, uh, then, then hire a firm to, um, to verify the, the validity of the information. Or that someone who wants to claim a certain title or and so on have uh, a certification. But to have the government step in with its licensing powers, um, the powers of the state, I think, is clearly not what the state should be doing. Sure, I, and, and we can get back to that. But let's let's assume for a moment that you know it's just it's a dispute. Like I say something disparaging and untrue about UKS. Do you uh, uh, do you have some sort of claim to damages if you were economically impacted by those falsities? No, because what you say about me affects the thoughts in other people's minds, and I don't own the thoughts in other people's minds. What okay. they wish to do with me uh, in business and so on is up to them, and I don't have a, a claim on those thoughts. Okay. So I, again, I'm just I'm I'm throwing I'm spitballing this example. Um, I you have an upcoming speech at a hotel, you know. Sold out, bought and paid for, 500 seats. People are going to come listen to you speak. I call the hotel and I go, you should not have KS speech speak. He is a racist. And, a, you know, whatever, whatever the SJWs are on about this time. And the hotel goes, well, we can't, we can't have that at our facility. And they cancel your speech, you know, the, the day before, right? All those people bought tickets. All those refunds need to be processed. You don't get to give your speech you were, I would say, damaged in some way, but no, but that's that's the hotel's prerogative. Like, there's nothing, you know, if if proven false, there's nothing that can be done 
against me for those claims that obviously caused you some economic harm? Well, I, I it, uh, that's interesting that they make a distinction between economic harm and... Uh, well, I'm, I'm making that distinction but, because yeah, clearly you have but not been physically harmed. But, but it's, in the, it's in the law that way. Right. Uh, for example, if you're going to sue for libel and slander, um, the damages are presumed to be what your economic damages are. So if you're a very powerful, wealthy person and the damages to you are great, then clearly you have a much greater um, settlement from from a, a libel claim than somebody who's a homeless guy on the street. I call him a racist and uh, nobody cares, but he can't. What what can he get from the lawsuit? He says, well, what's your income? Well, nothing. Oh, yeah. well, then your damages are nothing. So it's clearly that I think that the libel and slander laws have been um, established by powerful people to um, shield themselves from um, from less powerful people. Um, but that that's not a claim. I think that um, um, I, as Lenny Bruce would say, uh, words become dangerous when they're prohibited. But when they're allowed and you get used to hearing all kinds of claims, then you start to exercise your own judgment. Nobody would believe the claim that if, you know, uh, uh, if you said, oh, he's a racist, and so don't go to his meeting, well, they'll dismiss it because, you know, if you can sue for libel, then they say, oh, it must be true because otherwise he would have sued for libel. Oh, okay. Sue, but if I can't sue for libel, um, then people don't just automatically accept it as true. You know, uh, take, for example, years ago, there used to be uh, the, the way to ruin somebody's reputation was to call them a homosexual, you know. And uh, boy, that could ruin somebody's whole career or her livelihood and everything. Just just calling it because how do you how do you defend against it? And um, but the fact that today someone could be called a homosexual, people just shrug it off. So what? You know, not because, well, because they're they're accustomed to hearing the words and the ideas. It's not a forbidden type of thing to be talked about, and you can't sue anybody for it. Okay. No, that, that you know, the, the explanation that it's actually worse to have those in place because then there's an expectation that you would sue um, kind of makes sense. Let's, let's talk about, uh, again, I think we, I don't want to get too far off topic, but uh, what Twitter has become recently um, in this realm because for, since its, since its inception, and for much of its existence, until you know the, the until the Trump era, basically, um, Twitter itself was considered to be like the free speech platform, right? They they were you were limited in how much you could say, but you weren't really limited in what you could say. And so, the 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 people who would you know participate in these libelous and slanderous whatever whichever one applies to to Twitter um, activities would go on Twitter and say all sorts of untruthful, false and mean things about other people on Twitter or, you know, about, you know, celebrities in general. Um, and it was, it was par for the course. And what happened to Twitter um, as, as a microcosm was basically it was, it became an unusable service for a lot of people because there was no policing of this level of, of, falsity and harassment that went on 
um, on the platform. Now, I want to extrapolate that out, if it applies, to the greater society. And if you allow that sort of, if you allow that level of, you know, falsity and harassment in the greater society, just like people, you know, dropped out of Twitter, you may see people remove themselves from society or, or wish to remove themselves from that society. And then all that's left are what I'm going to refer to as the degenerates. And so how does, does that apply? Like, is it, you know, is it still good that we have that level of, of openness unabated and unrestricted um, for, you know, the the greater good? That's the great thing about the marketplace. You can have one owner of Twitter say, well, we, we want to have it completely open and we like the fact that we draw everybody of every sort uh, to this. But then another venue, another social media say, well, no, we, we know that people get disgusted with that. We're going to compete by having another type of thing, which we're going to police on it so and be very, very careful about what people can say on there. And, and we want kids and, and children and, and old people and women to join in, and they're not going to join us if they just allow anything. So you've got these two choices of venues, and you can choose one or the other or, or both, you know, depending on your mood. But the government doesn't allow that. The government, when they mandate, it's got to be the same for everybody, you know. Understood. But and, how does that apply to, you know, greater society as a whole? Like if we want to have a, you know, libertarian society or, you know, a, a complete liberty in our lifetime and we're, we're allowing that sort of, of behavior to transpire because, hey, bad speech is drowned out with good speech, right? Um, but what we know from Twitter is that it really it just pushes people away. Does that not push people away from a free libertarian society because they know it's going to be uh, overrun by the worst of us? A, a free libertarian society also encompasses people who choose not to be barraged with certain kinds of words and and ideas all the time too. I mean, you know, like freedom of association is who you associate with and who you don't wish to associate with, and that's up to you. So I'd say having those choices out there is is the libertarian solution. Um, yeah, I don't see the problem there. All right. You just choose your venue, and you turn off the turn off the knob if you don't want to listen to it. Well, when you say choose your venue, in in my grander example, you're saying choose your society, right? You, you're saying choose choose the larger group of people that you're going to you know that you're going to live around, be near, and associate with, right? Yeah, like not it, necessarily the larger group. The 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 more amenable to your personality, you know, it may be a small group. The, fact that's what we're doing on clubhouse we're just a small group and we associate with each other because we choose to all right so this engineer in minnesota um his claim does does he then have a claim to sue back if you know if it's basically just uh, an agreement issue right like if he's saying that i i i'm an engineer even though i don't practice engineering does it even matter that he wasn't licensed at the time and doesn't matter, you know, if he, if he violated the rules, if he doesn't even utilize that license in the, in the outlet that he's performing his new duties as an activist. Well, that's an interesting case because 
the state, these guys on this board, because they're utilizing the powers of the state uh, to punish him, yeah, I'd say that he, he should sue them back, um, use the tools of the state to push back against them. Because clearly, you know, they're, they're damaging him uh, and, uh, you know, they're calling for fines and penalties and, and accusing them of fraud and all this. And I think that it's an obvious case that uh, where there was no bad faith on his part. He wasn't trying to sue anybody. He wasn't using his professional skills under that guise. I think he has a very, very strong case. And I, I would like to see the state, uh, you know, allow him the tools to push back against the tools of the state that they are using. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and that's that's another area that's a little bit contentious amongst, you know, liberty-minded individuals, libertarians, anarchists, is if it is ever appropriate, when is it appropriate um, to use the, the, the violence of the state to your advantage, right? Like, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you want to be able to call the police to, on, a, on a robber because, well, that's, you know, the, the police state is set up and you want to be able to access... Some things to your uh, when when it's to your advantage, but well, and not just that it. to to not call the police in the state in the case of a robbery, right? To not call the police and to handle it on your own as you are, you know, morally <laughs> allowed to do, <laughs> yeah. makes you the bad guy in the eyes of the state. So it, you know, you be, instead of becoming the victim, right, by calling the police and saying I have been robbed, right you become the aggressor in whatever harm you bring to the robber in the eyes of the state. Right. So it, you know, um, the, the, the examples that I use for that is it comes up at work because when I'm at work, uh, my regular job, I have to, I have to mentally separate, um, my personal moral and ethical views. And then those of the business owner with whom I am operating as an agent, Right. Like I have, I, I am, I am, his property is in my care during the time I am on the clock. So it, it, it's come up a, a couple of different times where there have been like unruly customers, right? Harassing e either other customers or myself in one instance. Right. And can I handle that on my own? Absolutely. Right. Like I, you know, I'm more than capable of, of, handling that situation however I deem appropriate um, if it came down to that. But in the eyes of the state, that would make me the aggressor. Um, and so it's easier for me to just call the police, right? They're like, hey, unruly customer, right? Take them away, trespass them. This is your, this is your realm. You handle it, right? And I don't, I don't feel bad about it, but I do feel conflicted about doing it because I am, I am um, utilizing state violence on behalf of the property owner, right? And, you know, to, but also to protect myself from becoming the victim uh, to the state by not doing it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And it's like uh, sometimes people say, well, you know, corruption is necessary when you have to pay a bribe to uh, a public official to get out of your way. I mean, yeah, there. It's a conflicted world, and it's always making judgments about when, um, when do greatest, uh, great, how to best enhance your freedom under the conditions that we exist in. Yeah, 
I had um, I I recently had a customer come in and a, you know I thought she was on something. Clearly, she needed to be on something. Um, but at some point, you know, I I she she was just coming in to harass. Like that was her purpose in life was just to come in and harass me about any number of things. And you know, so I asked her to leave a number of times. Like you know, take your stuff, leave. Un, you know, best thing to do is pack up your unit and get out of here. Cause I don't even want you as a customer, but I can't force that. Um, I've talked to the, my owners a number of times and I go, well, the only way to really kick them out is to go through the auction process. And that she, as long as she pays the bill, that's not going to happen. So she's allowed to stay. Um, but coming to harass me, right? Like I, you know, can I deal with it? Yeah. Do I want to? No. So I didn't call, I called the police, but I didn't like, it wasn't like an emergency call. I just wanted to to inform them, you know, that this might be an issue in the future if this, if this woman comes back and, st- and starts doing it again. Um, and so I, I give the, I give the police like the woman's name, right? Cause I have the file, I have the license, I have a license plate, I have everything on this chick. And, uh, and, and they go like, Oh, we know all about her. I go, oh, do you now? You know? So they send an officer down um, you know, to, to, to take my statement. So I let them know, you know, what she was bringing in and how she was, you know, making, making obviously false accusations about what I was doing on the property and so on and so forth. Um, and then she comes back, you know, to harass me again. She's like, I've, I've talked to this detective and blah, 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 and whomever. And I go, Oh, good. Cause I've talked to you and like one of the officers as well. And apparently you're like a known commodity down at the, you know, at the local police station there. They know all about you and what you've been up to. Uh, and apparently like that information alone, right? Like was, was enough to deter her. Cause I haven't seen her come back. Right. Like just, you know, I don't, do I, do I feel good about having to call the police? No. Um, but doing so also got me like, you know, information that had that you know i uh for lack of a better term weaponized to get her to leave me alone and so i don't feel bad about that right i go like oh it worked like she she knows what she's doing and and now that you know she's on the other side of you know the i'm talking to the police line you know of bs um yeah i don't feel so bad about it mc right on i don't have much to say about it all right didn't think so but i just you know um headline Sure. You want to talk about leftist politics in, in Oregon? Oh, it's my favorite. I know. That's a, a, see, again, that's why I pull some of these out. I go like, <laughs> what is he going to like? And I will, I will throw, I, like, usually I throw out my question at the end of the article. Uh, but I want to throw out my question at the beginning of the article, uh, along with reading the headline, just as like a thought experiment as we go through this thing as well. So headline, Oregon is proof that leftist politics ultimately lead to tyranny and decay. And the question I want to put out is, uh, doesn't uh, right politics do the same just in a different manner? Um, And I put that out there as a question, but also as a caveat that this isn't necessarily uh, a a right leaning podcast or show. Like I, I don't want to, I don't want that headline to lead people to believe that we are on the right of things, even if, you know, even if we even if even if we don't like uh, leftist politics and believe that it will ultimately lead to tyranny and decay. So that being said, what kind of abysmal social and economic conditions would make at least five separate counties of U.S. voters want to flee 
a state to join the borders of another state? Well, all it takes is a cult of insane Marxists running the entire state into the ground from the safety of their metropolitan communes while demanding that people submit their undying fealty to the draconian medical mandates of an elitist minority. Yeah, things have to get pretty bad to inspire so many people into leaving and taking half the state with them. Welcome to Oregon. I used to live right across the state border from Portland, Oregon through the 90s. And while that place was always considered a bit of a haven for washed-out hippies, reject grunge bands, and limp-wristed wine-sipping progressives, there wasn't enough of them to take the place over completely, and the city was still relatively clean and well-kept and peaceful. You rarely heard of crime, poverty, or unrest. Those were problems reserved for places like California. I can't recall any moment during that time when people said they felt unsafe in Portland, or when they were desperate to leave Oregon for greener pastures. It used to be a decent place to build a life. A lot has changed since then. As the political left and the Democratic Party had become increasingly militant in its regressive ideology and collectivist underpinnings, the states these people control have become increasingly dismal financial and constitutional failures. Perhaps it was always there under the skin, but in the past few years, the cancer has grown terminal. I really have no interest in ever going back to Oregon, and no one I know has any interest in visiting the place either. When I research the local news, this is what consistently pops up, and there's a YouTube video of you know riots and war zones. From wonderful to war zones, like the short headline for the YouTube video. Portland is now a homeless tent city with walls of garbage in the streets and riots on a regular basis. The city has reported a 2,000% rise in homicides, specifically after taking measures to defund local police precincts. Oregon also has a total debt of around $43 billion, which is dramatically higher than red state neighbors like Idaho and Montana. Data for 2020 and 2021, poverty and homelessness rates have not been released yet, partially because cities like Portland sought to stall the federally mandated count back in January. I would not be surprised if the numbers have had an epic spike in the past year, the only question will be, is it because of COVID or is it just because of the bumbling of lefties? But it's not just the economic decline that's the issue in Oregon. It's also the rampant suppression of individual rights through medical tyranny, along with the special government treatment of Marxist extremist groups like Antifa and BLM. Thousands of businesses have closed in the state because of pointless lockdowns, which did nothing to stop the natural spread of covid and the businesses that tried to defy the mandates in order to survive were harassed or threatened with fines by state health officials and OSHA. At the same time, local politicians have barely lifted a finger to stop leftist civil unrest. Some people say they are too weak to take action, but their meekness is more likely a show of support, a virtue signal. They want the riots to continue, at least to a certain extent. That said, nothing tops the announcement this past week by the Oregon Health Authority which has just issued a rule that businesses must now demand proof of vaccination before a customer may enter. If they do not have proof, they must be forced to wear a mask or they must be made to leave. This is the first time I've heard of a state actually codifying vaccine passports into their enforcement mandates, but I'm sure other blue states will follow Oregon's lead in the near future. Keep in mind that these rules are a threat to Oregon businesses as much as they are a threat to the regular public. 
As one bureaucrat from Oregon Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration argued, quote, we expect more employers to comply. Whichever route they take, allowing the vaccine exemption or sticking with current requirements, we will take and investigate complaints alleging employers are requiring face coverings, for example, or checking vaccination status, unquote. Don't forget that this guy is not a lawmaker. He's a nobody. He was never elected. Most of these mandates across the country have not been debated by a legislature or voted on by citizens. None of the mandates are real law. They are simply color of law controls enforced unilaterally outside of the Constitution. This is unacceptable. As those of us in the Liberty Media have been warning since the beginning of the pandemic hype, the end game was always going to be vaccine passports. It was always about control of the citizenry. It was never about saving lives. We told people that vaccine passports were coming and the media called us crazy. Now Oregon is proving us right. Of course, Oregon is not the only blue state setting the standard for tyranny. Most leftist-dominated states are pushing similar measures. For example, Illinois officials have said they will not enforce vaccine passports while at the exact same time admitting that they are considering vaccine passports. Meanwhile, Chicago Mayor Lightfoot, a racist, racist who has demanded segregation of white journalists from black journalists in her press interactions, is also using her influence to encourage segregation of vaccinated people from unvaccinated people in local restaurants. In Virginia, Governor Northam had stated that vaccine passports are on the table. Most counties in the state are predominantly conservative, but it is run once again from metro- metropolitan areas that are saturated with leftists. This had led many counties to seek nullification of state government controls, including red flag gun laws. On top of that, numerous counties of Virginia are considering leaving the state to join West Virginia, just as multiple counties in eastern Oregon are trying to join with Idaho. In blue states across the nation, incremental totalitarianism is being implemented, but Oregon is clearly leading the charge, in my opinion. Many states are claiming that they will not enforce vaccine passports while subversively supporting corporations that do the enforcement, do the enforcing of the passports for them. By the way, no company has the right to demand access to your private medical history before allowing you to enter their establishment. But this is all a farce. Eventually, all leftist governments are going to demand vaccine passports as a rule. Oregon simply leapfrogged ahead of everyone else and went straight to the Orwellian endgame. So, of course, we have to ask an obvious medical question here first. If the experimental mRNA vaccine actually works, then why do we need vaccine passports at all? The people who are vaccinated would be protected, and the people who are not vaccinated would be taken risk, as is their right. The unvaccinated are no threat whatsoever to the vaccinated if the vaccines do what Big Pharma claims they do. Of course, being unvaccinated is not so much a risk considering the death rate of COVID is only 0.26% outside of nursing homes, according to independent medical studies. And for those that claim mutations are a concern, viruses mutate with or without mass vaccinations. Just as there are seasonal strains of the flu, there will now be seasonal strains of COVID. That's the beauty of it for those in power. They will have to be new vaccinations every year, and you will have to renew your vaccine passport every year. The controls will never end. If you want to see what our future will be in America, if we allow this totalitarian march to continue, just take a look at Australia. Regional lockdowns of millions of people are now a regular occurrence there despite the proliferation of vaccines within the country. All it takes is a handful of COVID-positive tests and the government has all the excuse it needs to erase people's rights. 
In my recent article, Vaccine Virtue Signaling and the Cult of the Woke, I outlined in detail while it makes little sense to become a guinea pig for an experimental vaccine, which is really a form of gene therapy, when 99.7 of the people will survive the virus without difficulty. On top of that, why submit to a vaccine today that will probably be declared useless next year anyway? The future implications of vaccine passports and economic decline are disturbing, but this is an inevitable result when leftists and collectivists are allowed to gather political and social power. As I have noted many times this year, leftists are the only subset of the population seeking and supporting government dominion over American lives. Not only that, but they have consistently partnered with global corporations that they supposedly despise in order to leverage more power. There are only supporting mass censorship, mob intimidation of those with different political views, mass violence against innocent people and businesses. They supported government lockdowns and extensive violations of the Bill of Rights, and now they are supporting vaccine passports, which would destroy all personal liberty in this country for all time. Am I falling into the left-right paradigm trap here? Are things just as bad in conservative red states? Why not take a look at the red states like my home of Montana? In Montana, the state government has passed multiple laws and set multiple precedents which now protect the public against COVID restrictions. These include court orders which prevent local health departments from forcing businesses to require their customers to wear masks. Five businesses took a stand in Flathead County and the courts sided with them. The Montana legislature has passed a law banning employers from requiring that their employees get vaccinated in order to keep their jobs. A law has been passed which prevents any establishment, including schools, colleges, and medical facilities, from demanding proof of vaccination before offering services. Vaccine passports will not be allowed in Montana. A law has been passed which protects businesses from lawsuits related to COVID if a business does not enforce mandates. A similar law is being forwarded which also protects government buildings and healthcare facilities. Executive orders by Governor Gianforte has, are being established which stop city governments from enforcing mandates while the state government has lifted them. Montana has also passed legislation which prevents any new federal gun laws from being enforced in the state. Montana has seen a rush of people relocating to the state and seeking to escape the suffocating restrictions. I've spoken with many of the people that have moved to my area and most of them are conservatives that can no longer tolerate the path of Marxism that their original states are following. As it stands right now, Montana is one of the most free states in the U.S. Many other red states are considering or have already passed similar measures to protect the rights of their citizens. So who are the real fascists? Who are the real power mongers, leftists or conservatives? The fact of the matter is the left-right paradigm is a reality. The political elites at the top of the pyramid have no loyalties to either side. But regular people at the bottom of the pyramid are indelibly separated. The proof is the actions of blue states versus red states. Perhaps there are many Democrats out there who do not necessarily agree with this cultis, with the cultism of social justice warriors. Maybe they don't support the unhinged thirst for vicarious control that vaccine virtue signalers display. But if they don't support it, they are not saying much about it out loud. This is indeed about sides, and moderation at this point is a joke. One side is supported by real science. The other side is ignoring the science for the convenience of their ideology. One side is clearly right, and the other side is clearly wrong. Conservatives want to be left alone, and leftists want to dictate the lives of others. Conservatives are for freedom, and leftists are not. There is no debating this any longer. The question is, which side are you on? Uh, end of the article. Do you agree? I know I asked my question earlier, but do you agree with his final assertion uh, that there is no middle ground, that you must choose sides at this point. 
I think it it the pendulum kind of sways back and forth, um, you know, depending on who's in power. So um, when when the conservatives uh, are in power and are popular, then um, they abuse that and they get us into wars and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, they want to regulate uh, what we put in our bodies and uh, what we do with our bodies and they want to get into our bedroom. <laughs> you know? um, right. So, yeah, the, the conservatives are not uh, for for freedom. Um, they are, uh, I guess, that, well, I think my analysis has always been right on this. The left is mostly afraid of the right and the right is mostly afraid of the left. And that's, that's what uh, keeps... Uh, the two-party system uh, working in the U.S. Um, yeah. Well, even even in his analysis, right? Like he's claiming that you know the laws that Montana passed um, were were to benefit you know the the people, right? Um, but e- even within his examples, uh, it takes it takes rights away from the business owners or property owners, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the whole like. Uh, you know, we, we, I get into this discussion uh, a lot here, uh, because I, I'm surrounded by a handful of anti, anti maskers, um, of which I might be included, but not, you know, not to the extreme that they go to, mm-hmm. right? So they go like the, the store, the store has no right to ask me if I am vaccinated before I go in. And I go, sure they do. You don't have to answer, right? <laughs> I, I can ask you whatever I want. You know, so if they ask you if you had like HIV or AIDS, you'd be okay with that. I go again, like what's, what's, why would the, why would the law or why would a state agency prevent them from asking that question? Right. Do you have to answer the question? Do you have to answer the question? Honestly, right. They're allowed to ask it. You can say whatever you want. Um, and you know, and under that paradigm, what I, what I did suggest, and I was talking to another gentleman about it is, um, you know, the, the utilizing, again, utilizing the state's own rules against those who would use the state's agents against you, right? So you have the, the, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act or whatever. Um, and in a lot of places that he, here in New Hampshire specifically, when the governor's orders were in place, there was like medical exemptions, right? Like I, I claim a medical exemption, you know, I, I have a disability that precludes me from wearing the mask, Right, and you don't have to say what that disability is. You don't have to say anything about your vaccine status or whatever. You just, I am disabled, and you know that cannot be questioned. And for the most part, that's right. That cannot be questioned. However, um, if they question it, you can decline to answer. And under that rule, um, the only thing that they must do at that point is make a reasonable accommodation for you and your disability. Right, and if you're if you're if you're asking for something unreasonable, then they don't have to serve you. And that should be their prerogative under, you know, under libertarian or, or anarchist ideology. Um, so, so to claim that, you know, that, that you should have the right to shop, uh, you know, is, is folly. Or that, you know, uh, was the one in Montana where the, they, the, the, the Montana legislature banned employers from requiring their employees get vaccinated in order to keep their jobs. Well, bullshit, right? If, if, if that's the requirement for the job, you either comply or quit. Right. Isn't that, isn't that how freedom works? Sure. Yeah. So I, so, you know, to, to answer my question in the beginning, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the conservatives 
you know, with, with this, with these Montana uh, rules and regulations put in place are any, are, they might be less, but they're still tyrannical, right? They're, they're not better yeah. well, than the left. What they're doing, they're different. What they're doing is countering the left. So the left is in power. The left is doing all these uh, things to restrict people and they're doing uh, their own form of uh, restrictions. Yeah. Um, just it's just opposite. like tyranny of the opposite so, instead of, right. instead of freedom. All right. Right. And, it, and it's been like that. And I think it's just getting worse. And so, you know, what, what I think I, what I wanted to hear about was there's counties in, in Oregon that are uh, in California, I think that are voting to secede from California and Oregon. So um, I'd like to see how that happens. Well, yeah, there there are there are maps um, online about that. Here's here's the headline that was linked in the article: Five Eastern Oregon counties back a plan to secede and join Idaho. There's also the Northern California slash you know um, Southern Oregon split that has been talked about for man, I I want to say decades at this point, like the the new state of Jefferson. So that entire area, like California itself, is just too big to serve the needs of all those people. And it should be, you know, what well, should be eliminated, right? But as far as, you know, making it smaller, it should be broken up into, you know, in, into smaller uh, sections, like add more states uh, and break mm-hmm. up California because there's no way the people in the North and the people in the South have the same needs uh, with each other or with the people in charge in, you know, Los Angeles and, and, and Sacramento, the capital, right? Like it just, it doesn't work. Um, and that's the problem that Oregon is facing now is that you have rural Oregon, which has more, um, more alignment socially with, uh, with, with, with Montana and Idaho. Um, and that's why they're trying to break off and join Idaho, right? Cause they're, you know, like, like, like we talked about with KS at the beginning, right? The, this is where your societies separate, right? Like society so the, oh, uh, the greater society has certain views certain rules certain regulations whether or not they're mandated by the state or not um you know there there's ways to integrate into those communities um and portland and you know and and you know the the left part of oregon making the rules and mandating how the people in the rural parts of oregon live and behave is folly um but under the current paradigm, they can't do anything about it except break off and move and, you know, and reassociate with a different society uh, in, in Idaho. Uh, but they're still not free. They're just now under the Idaho paradigm, right, which may be better uh, than what they currently have. But I don't, you know, I, I, I want to call it like a lateral move rather than a step up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. Final thoughts? Nope. Thanks. All right. That'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. On Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. We still don't have our own club. So if you want to join in on the discussion, uh, follow me individually, personally on uh, Clubhouse, if you have that sort of thing, at Riches for Rich, R I C H E S, the number four, R I C H. Uh, and then, you know, you'll get notified, I guess, or somehow uh, when we start the show. And then you can jump in, join in, and raise your hand and participate. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, still doing it through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.